Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Baseball America Podcast. Coming to you from the Baseball America Podcast Nook. Controls your throwing strikes. The command is you're hitting the spot. That's yeah. stupid. I'm sorry. I'm going to rant about this again because that's just stupid, John. It is I mean, stupid. This is, this is so ridiculous. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. If he was in the home run derby, I'd put him out of the decent chance of winning it against the big leaguers. Surprised you could even hear us over the din of Ronnie McCabe's tape gun. Here we go in three, two, one. Play ball. Welcome to another Baseball America College podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. This podcast is powered by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with the attack, raid, and assault bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther. Louisville Slugger. And Aaron, we also need to remind people that this is draft season, of course. Aaron, how much how, how draft season is, is it at Baseball America this time of year? Oh man, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's all consuming, isn't it, John? That's I mean, it's word. hard to that's the word. It's hard to do anything else. Uh, you know, got the college season winding down. I'm trying to to, to multitask here, but the draft is is a is a bear. It is uh, all consuming is the word. So we want to remind people that uh, Baseball America's draft offer is available now. Subscribe now and receive one extra month of access with any premium content subscription, all of our scouting reports for the draft, the entire BA500 behind that premium content wall. So go to BaseballAmerica.com slash subscribe and uh, join us now. So great time of year to follow uh, baseball and to follow baseball from the uh, Baseball America perspective, Aaron, which is where we, we follow the draft. We're looking to see what players are future stars. But we also care who wins in college baseball. It's the only time where we care who wins. And, Aaron, uh, Virginia did not win this weekend. For the first time this season, the Cavaliers did not win a weekend series. They lost at Wake Forest. So we have a new number one. We will go into uh, – well, we aren't in the postseason yet. We're in conference tournament season for most teams, but not for the teams out west. So Oregon State won last uh, regular season series for the Beavers. And they uh, go into that final regular season series uh, in you know, number one in our rankings. But, Aaron, I'm not going to say they're number one in our hearts because <laughs> the Beavers uh, suspend Ben Wetzler for five games for being arrested for kind of a basic disorderly conduct charge, right? When he, he broke into a house that he was a friend's house or something like that. Am I remembering that correctly off the top of my head? Uh, it sounds like – it sounds like I think he might have thought it was his own house that he was breaking into. Um, it was, you know, okay. late, 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 and late at night, and uh, intoxicated, and um, broke into a house that uh, didn't belong to him. That's all I know. <laughs> well, Ben Wetzler um, was suspended for five games for this, but you know that basically means that he didn't miss the entire Washington <clears throat> series. So, in a very uh, crucial game between the top two teams in the Pac-12. Instead of missing that series, Ben Wetzler pitches on Sunday after the five games with a retroactive date put on that suspension, by the way. So he pitches in the finale of that series, and of course he wins because Ben Wetzler's really good as a college pitcher. 
Throws a CG two hitter with nine strikeouts. He's now ten and one. His ERA is under one. And Aaron, in part because of Ben Wetzler, Oregon State, in my mind, is the best team in the country. They're number one in our rankings. But I got to tell you, Aaron, this suspension and the way they handled the Ben Wetzler situation stinks. It's the second time I can remember an Oregon State player being arrested and really serving no time, no suspension, not being any consequences because of it. It happened with Mike Lisbon back in 2007 when he stole almost $8,000 from a relative and really didn't miss any playing time. And now it happens. Ben Wetzler, a much less significant transgression. But this is a senior, Aaron, and a team leader and all this kind of stuff. And I'll tell you, their praise of Ben Wetzler rings pretty hollow. And uh, I thought, what a fine young man he is and all that stuff. Well, a senior 22-year-old has to have better judgment than that, Aaron. I'm pretty disappointed with the way Oregon State handled this. I think it reflects poorly on them, and it's another one that's going to kind of hang over this team when they're in a playoff, a postseason run, and I'm sure they're not going to address it when the, when Pat Casey faces media because it seems like he's pretty effective at brushing this stuff aside with the media in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, he's he's uh, he controls the media up there. I mean, you know, it seems like it, I noticed it, and I'll, I'll say because I hadn't I hadn't talked about this before publicly, but I thought it, I found it pretty interesting that you know when he addresses the media, he talks for you know a minute to, to, and answers two or three questions, and then abruptly says, "Okay, that's it." And and I've, I've never seen any other coach in college baseball do that. Um, and certainly, you know, when there's a difficult situation like this. You know, they handle it the way they want to handle it. They control the message the entire way, and this is what they're going to say about it. They issue their statement, and that's going to be the end of it. They're not going to talk about it again. This is this is the end of it. Um, and you know what? It's you know I don't want to blow it out of proportion because right. it, it is it's you know college kids are still college. He's twenty two, but you know it, it's a drunken, stupid thing to do. I mean, like it's not like there, there's not malicious intent here. But I mean that said, like like you said. Um, he is a team leader, and they emphasized that in their statement and said, well, Absolutely. you know, I mean, we choose, we choose to judge Ben Wetzler by his 1,300, 1300 days in the program rather than just by one night. Well, that's fine. I mean, I get it. You don't want to, like, write the kid off or kick him off the team. That's fine. I don't think he deserves to be kicked off the team. But if, if you say then that, that you follow that up immediately by saying, well, we would be disappointed in ourselves, and I think Ben would be disappointed in us if we didn't hold him to a higher standard. Well, then hold him to a higher standard. I mean, exactly. suspend him for the weekend. I don't think that's asking too much. I think if, if you were serious about sending a message and holding your senior leader accountable, you would suspend him for the weekend. And if you lose the series, so be it. That's exactly right. You said it exactly the right way. If you're going to hold him to this higher standard, as they have, then prove it. Put some teeth behind that suspension it was toothless. It reflects poorly on Pat Casey. It reflects, reflects poorly on the Oregon State Beavers. And it makes the rest of the team suffer consequences for Ben Wetzler's stupidity and, and the coaches, the coaching staff not really having the guts to have a, a, a suspension with more teeth. This is a great team, Aaron. This is a, this is a complete college baseball team. And the rest of these players – don't deserve to have this crap hanging over their heads, but it yeah. will be the rest of the year because of Pat Casey. Period. You know, he should have he he held his own player to a higher standard. Instead, he put the expediency of winning this UW series over the interests of the rest of his players. I think it's. I thought it was weak. I, I think that's. I think that's. I mean, it's, it's strong, John. But I think you're right. Ultimately, I, I think that. Um, they could have put this to bed if they suspended him for the weekend. That's and again, all I'm that's saying. they could have put it to bed. Nobody would have said 
much of anything. And, and, and again, like you said, not much deserves to be said about it. He's 22, and he got drunk. That is his right as an American, you know. <laughs> I'm right there with Ben Wetzler uh, being 22 and, and, and getting your swerve on. There's nothing wrong <laughs> with that. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you don't hurt anybody else. You know, don't get behind the wheel of a car. Don't operate heavy machinery. <laughs> you know, don't go out there and throw your 88-mile-an-hour fastball when you're, uh, when you're <laughs> drunk. But it, the, the way that that's handled is, hey, the cover-up's always worse than the crime. There's no cover-up here, but the way they handled it is worse because their senior leader didn't really have, suffer any consequences. And now he basically brings all that on the rest of the team, in my mind, because you yeah. just have to wonder why they had such a toothless punishment. But Aaron, uh, boy, Ben Wetzler's good. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, you, you have a you have a senior left-hander uh, with an 0.84 ERA um, with Wetzler and Fry and the Moore. And is, is there an, they're the best team in the country, aren't they? Uh, you know, I mean, it's them or probably Virginia. I still, I'm still not ready to say they're better than Virginia. Uh, I'm not. I mean, I, I, I just think Virginia is better in the bullpen, and to me, that's the difference. And, and you know, I think they're both balanced teams. Virginia has more experience in the lineup. They, they've, they're less reliant upon freshmen at key spots. Um, you know, that those, you know, Logan Ice is a good player, and he's come a big form. He's, he's had a nice year behind the plate, but still a freshman catcher. Right. And you know, it's a freshman shortstop. Virginia has a freshman shortstop too. They both have pretty special defenders at short. Panero's better offensively. Um, you know, and then third base now. Now, Oregon State's got a freshman there too, so um, I just think that's that's a difference to me. Is is Virginia's a little more experienced, and they're, I trust their bullpen more. So I, I still take the I still take the Cavs. The Cavs didn't have a good weekend, uh, but you know Oregon State's right there with them. I think it's one A and one B in some order. Not like we're second guessing the Cavaliers here at all, Aaron. But I'm just surprised with the way their offense has gone this year that we haven't seen a little bit more Nick Howard offensively. Although I guess he's played a little bit more lately. And we haven't seen more John LaPriest. I mean, this, you know, John LaPriest can hit. I yeah. know Pinero and Cogswell are really good defensively. Those guys have 12 extra base hits between them. Um, they do have high OBPs, but I'm just a little bit surprised we haven't seen LaPriest a little bit more. Uh, he's got, you know, less playing time, and he's not an overly <laughs> physical guy. He's got 10 extra base hits. He's almost got as many extra base hits himself as those two guys have. I'm second-guessing here, and I really probably shouldn't. Brian O'Connor definitely knows his team better than I do. But are you surprised that they're – I mean, I, we talk about their offense all year, and it's it's just it – is, it is what it is. It's not what it was supposed to be on paper. It's a mediocre offense. Yeah. It's not a great offense. You're right. You know, and I, I can't figure out why that is <laughs> when I look at the personnel. But, uh, yeah, they're, they – you know, the proof is in the pudding at this point. Uh, you're right. They are who they are. And uh, – I don't know. I mean, I, I like the depth, though. I like the fact that they, they can mix and match. And, you know, if if, uh, if somebody is struggling or they need a big get bat off the bench, I mean, they've got a lot of guys that they can do that I, I still think are talented. Um, but you're right. I mean, at this point, you know, they're not world beaters offensively. Um, you know, neither is Oregon State. And, and I still feel like both these teams have uh, a couple of guys in the middle, you know, or in, in Virginia's yeah. case, Pappy, I think, was leading off some. And uh, But, you know, with Pappy and, and McCarthy and Fisher, I mean, these guys – uh, are impact guys, just like Conforto and, da- and, and Davis are. I mean, Conforto and Davis probably have had better years than Virginia's big guys, except for maybe Pappy. But, um, you know, they both have a little bit of firepower in the middle. Um, but neither of these teams are losing a Lafayette offensively. 
That's the other. That's that's the other rub. Louisiana Lafayette now number two in our rankings. I mean, uh, you know, Oregon State's got to go play its last four games on the road at Oregon and at USC over the weekend. If Oregon State loses a couple of those games, they lose a weekend series, and Lafayette wins the you know the Sun Belt Conference tournament. Aaron, couldn't you see Lafayette entering the, the NCAA tournament as our number one? And they, yeah. do you think do you think they'll be a top eight <laughs> national seed? Yes, I do. Um, you know, and and there are there are flaws in their there certainly in their case. I mean, they don't have um, <laughs> they don't have very many top fifty wins. I mean, then that's just that's just a fact. I mean, you know, the committee will look at that, and that'll that'll weigh against them. They're three and one against top fifty. They're only seven and three against the top one hundred. So I mean, they they're thirty seventh in the RPI right now. The NCAA actually right. did release its official RPI this morning. Um, on May good, 19th, good. we have an official RPI with Virginia 1, Florida 2, Florida State, Indiana, Oregon State, Vanderbilt, Lafayette, South Carolina. That's your top eight in the RPI, Aaron. So let's just go point by point there. Virginia, barring a collapse. Well, Virginia, they're, they're a lock to be a top eight national yes. state. Don't you feel? Yes. Lock top eight. Florida's a lock top eight. Yes. Florida State. Is Florida State a lock top eight national state? It doesn't feel like they're a lock. Am I, am I wrong there? <sighs> Boy, um, you know, I still, I still wonder because because Miami won the, the conference. Yeah. Um, you know, I could see if they only want to give the ACC two national seeds, I could see Miami squeezing out Florida State. If if you know, if, let's I mean. say Florida State falls on its face in the conference tournament and Miami stays hot. Um, I mean, right now it feels like both those teams are probably going to be national seeds, but. Um, you know, you the top five team. If Florida State finishes in the top five, they're going to be a national seed. That, that's you know, you, you can pretty much take that to the bank. So I, I think they're most likely, but I don't feel like they're a lock. Like I do feel Indiana yeah. is a lock for a Big Ten team to be number four yeah. in the RPI. I feel like they're a lock. Don't you? Don't you think so? No, I agree, and and um, certainly Oregon State is as well. Now, back to Louisiana Lafayette. I mean, yeah. I, you know, you talk. We talk about the the lack of. Really high uh, high impact wins here. I mean that that's again that's the flaw. They're only the thirty five and three against teams one hundred one to two hundred. So that's where they really. But that said, with that kind of a schedule, to be seventh in the RPI is not easy to do. Um, So I think the committee will reward them for being forty nine and seven um, in in the regular season. I mean that's incredible. Before we even get to the conference tournament, they got forty nine wins. Um, you know, they, they have the one series win against Alabama that they're kind of hanging their hats on a little bit and, and their domination of the league. And, and I bet you this is one of those deals where the, the regional advisory committee um, will say, hey, these guys are for real. You know, I mean, their, their talent is legit. Um, that's one of those where, where that could probably, you know, I assume that's what the regional advisory committee will say because anyone who sees this team, I think, would probably get that impression. I think they're legit. All the scouts, um, all the scouts I've talked to, you know, there are no high-end draft guys for this year's draft. Like Trahan, the shortstop, will probably be a yeah. high-end guy for next year's draft. Um, but there's so there no there's some single-digit possibilities this year. Baranek, Robichaux, Caleb Adams, um, yeah. maybe Harrison on the outfield, maybe some you know. So there are four guys who are kind of in that six to twelve round range, Aaron, talent-wise. Uh, I may even be selling somebody short. Maybe Greg Milhorn's in that range for somebody else. So Lafayette does have depth of talent. So a lot of scouts have seen them that we've talked to. Um, so they're talented, but I don't think anyone thinks they have, you know, otherworldly talent. But they, everyone I've talked to at the same time, 
thinks this is a really, really good college baseball team. Yeah, exactly. And and so, you know, I think as long as they don't go 0-2 in the conference tournament, you know, or 1-2, and let, let's say they, they win at least a couple of games. I mean, I don't even think they necessarily have to win the conference tournament to be a national seed. Um, it would help, you know, because there, right. there are the, – hey, there's the competition here for these national seeds. I mean, exactly. you got those three ACC teams that all are very strong. And then you got three SEC teams uh, with Florida – I think South Carolina now and Ole Miss after winning the West. Ole Miss is down to 13 in the RPI. They didn't have to play um, Vanderbilt or Florida, so they had probably an easier SEC schedule than, than South Carolina and Vanderbilt had. So that's a factor. Um, you know, I mean, it's an unbalanced schedule, so you can't just look at the standings. But uh, and, then, and then Vanderbilt, I think, probably is on the outside of that mix after losing that series to South Carolina. But if they make a deep run in Hoover, I mean, they're six in the RPI. It's not like they're far out of the mix here. So, um, you know, so you got three or four SEC teams in the mix. Houston and Rice are inside the top ten in the RPI, but I don't think they're national seed contenders. Just because I, I, don't, I, I don't think the rest of the metrics are there for them. But, and you got the Beavers in Indiana that we both think are probably locks. So you know, you got a, a pretty healthy group of contenders here. Um, if you need to make room for somebody, you know, if somebody stumbles in the conference tournament, that could, that could still cost you. Aaron, I was talking to a cross-checker just now who said that he believes the conference tournaments are going to matter more for the first round of the draft than he could ever remember. And like it's really it's just, wow. there's a, there's a razor-thin – uh, difference for a lot of these prospects that how they finish in these conference tournaments is going to matter. And it feels like that he was talking about the draft, but as he was saying that, and I was typing, and I was like, you know, that's probably true for these teams as well. And I really thought about it in the Southeastern Conference tournament, which uh, you're still going to be attending, right? Some of these come up. I understand we don't need to you know, go into that for everybody uh, listening, but you're still gonna, planning to go to Hoover for part of that tournament, correct? Yeah, I had to had to change my plans a little bit, uh, but yeah, I'll be there. Uh, on Wednesday, I'll catch probably the second two games on Wednesday and then all day Thursday and Friday. Let's talk a little bit about that tournament and what it means for each of these clubs because as we just talked about a little bit, Aaron, well, first of all, it means um, it, it's, it's Tennessee has to win some games here to get into regionals. Don't we think so? I think that's probably the case, yeah. I mean, although, does, does I'll Georgia, tell you what, John. Does Georgia down at uh, – they're the 12 seed. Georgia's at 55. We don't believe Georgia's going to regionals, Correct. I don't think so, um, but let me let me go back for a second to Tennessee because right I was going to set you back up for Tennessee because Tennessee's thirty-one and twenty-two. Yeah. Uh, overall, they're the eleven seed in the Southeastern Conference, but that doesn't mean they don't have a good regional case, right? John, I like their case better than Clemson's. You know, um, if you're looking at two teams that are in a similar spot in the RPI, and both uh, wear a lot of orange. Both wear a lot of orange. Clemson is down to 51 in the latest official RPI. Um, you know that's a team that needs to needs to do some work in the conference tournament. Um, you know even North Carolina, 44, one spot ahead of Tennessee. I like Tennessee's resume more than North Carolina's. I mean you got series wins, uh, what at Arizona State against UNLV. I mean they played right. some some good Western teams that are going to regionals and beat them. Um, you know, I know that they Florida. They have a win. You know, they, they've won. They have a series win against Kentucky. In yeah. The league. You know, they 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 haven't gotten swept very often. Correct, Darren. I mean, they didn't get swept by Vanderbilt. They won the Vanderbilt series. What am I talking about? Yeah, that's right. So they were swept by South Carolina. Um, feels like in league play. Otherwise, they've been quite competitive. I guess that's really that series against lost to Georgia. You really look at, and yeah, you know, that's one that you Auburn. probably needed to have. Auburn, Auburn too at yeah. home. 
Those are the two that are that hurt him. I mean, that's why. Hey, twelve and eighteen is usually not good enough. Um, I, sometimes I feel like we've seen teams at twelve and eighteen in the SEC get in, but that's also in in a smaller SEC where maybe you're talking about a, a ninth team in versus an eleventh team. Um, but that said, if you look at the totality of their of their body of work, I just I just think it's better than those ACC bubble teams. You could probably even throw Georgia Tech in the same mix, and I think I would take Tennessee over Georgia Tech. I mean, like, just for example, North Carolina's body of work. Is the series win at Maryland, is that their best series win? I think that's their best series win. I think you're right. The other thing that that North Carolina did is they have not been swept by Virginia, Miami, or Florida State. Just Duke. <laughs> just Duke. That's, that's, the, <laughs> that's the weird one. Um, a pretty eventful weekend. That North Carolina-Miami uh, doubleheader on Friday. Uh, the first yeah. game of that was what a 16 inning game. Yep. Um, that was that was a heck of a game, and it felt like uh, there were a lot of those games all weekend there, and there was a lot of the same mix. And I think I would take Tennessee over Georgia Tech. I mean, like just for example, North Carolina's body of work is the series win at Maryland. Is that their best series win? I think that's their best series win. I think you're right. The other thing that that North Carolina did is they have not been swept by Virginia, Miami, or Florida State. Just Duke. <laughs> Just Duke. That's, that's, the, <laughs> that's the weird one. Um, a pretty eventful weekend. That North Carolina-Miami uh, doubleheader on Friday. Uh, the first yeah. game of that was, what, a 16-inning game? Yep. Um, that, was, that was a heck of a game. And it felt like uh, there were a lot of those games all weekend there, and there was a lot of longish games a lot of extra rating games. We'll talk about some of those, but uh, go, I want to go back to the SEC brackets. So if, I, I'm with you. I feel like Tennessee's uh, resume is uh, yeah, unless they I, unless they go over in the tournament. You know, at some point you do have to win yep. some games. Yep. They've won some games, but they've also lost a lot of games. So yes, um, Tennessee, a bubble team that I agree with you. Their resume looks better than Clemson's, better than North Carolina's going into this week. Um, Texas and they've got. Go ahead. And, and, and sorry, John. Tennessee's got Vanderbilt um, coming up in the first game of the SEC tournament. Right. Single elimination uh, season on the line here for the Vols. You know, against your rival, go get them. And they've already won two of three against that rival team, as you said. And that was in no- that was in Knoxville. A little yep. bit different. Texas A and M, Aaron. Where's A and M on this bubble? Uh, oh, they're in. They're definitely in. I think they're they're no no doubt. Or they got they got enough quality series wins. They're thirty three, like you said, in the RPI, and their conference record fourteen and sixteen. The SEC good enough. So, so in your mind, the first ten seeds of the SEC are solid in. Yes. And the Tennessee, in your mind, is bubble in at this point. I I have to do the math, but I think so. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm working on a stock report this afternoon, but I'm I was just thinking, you know, in the last day or two here that. I took a step back and compared them to those ACC teams, and, and I like Tennessee more, which tells me that I'm going to probably put them in. Now, you had um, – in the last stock report, you had Old Dominion in. Yeah. They're 37 in the RPI, North Carolina 44, Clemson 51, as you said. This bubble range here, and I think it really seems like it starts at, I would guess, in the 30, 31, where West Virginia's 31, but at 27 yeah. and 24, and with the uh, – Arrow pointing down for the Mountaineers. They're the sixth seed in the Big 12 tournament. They're um, out right now. It sounds like they're out, right? They've really slumped here the last couple weeks of the season. They lost their last, what, seven games, I think, of the regular season. Um, 
you know, all they had to do, in my opinion, was not get swept in those two weekends, and they couldn't win one game in either weekend. Um, at Kansas and at Texas Tech. So yeah. the, road, the road was a very difficult road for Western Virginia to have to finish with seven games on the road, all against regional teams. Um, like Maryland's a – it sounds like Maryland's in, you know. Um, but tough uh, – it was a tough road for West Virginia. They just couldn't pull one or two wins out in that in that stretch. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, because they're RPI, they, I, I thought they didn't have to do a whole lot in order to get in. But they didn't They didn't do it. They didn't do the bare minimum. So, I mean, you know, they're still alive because the RPI, if they go to the conference tournament, um, you know, make a deep run, okay, maybe they're back in. But right now they're out. Okay. Um, so I'm just working down this RPI. Sam Houston State at 32, Dallas Baptist at 34. Those teams do not win their re- conference tournaments. Are they in? It feels like Dallas Baptist is more on the bubble yep. out. Is that correct? Sam Houston State's in uh, yep. with, because they, they because they have a conference regular season championship under their belt because they're seven and five against the top fifty. They've held their own against teams like you know Rice and Houston, Baylor and A and M, and you know T, I think TCU also. I think they've beaten all those teams at least once. Um, and DBU played at Sam Houston State in non conference. Sam Houston State won that series. And Dallas Baptist, the thing that hurts them is two and nine against the top fifty, and, and they didn't win their league. So. Um, that's one of those that you could see being a, a high RPI team that doesn't get in. I think they probably will. I think that'll be a three bid league um, because you know at least they're what are they third in their league? Yeah, I think tied for second actually tied, tied for, for second. second for the three seed, um, but they're tied for second with Indiana State behind uh, Evansville. Yeah, I mean they, they they'll probably I think they're probably got a better chance than West Virginia if I'm looking at teams in this in this RPI range. I, I would I put Dallas Baptist ahead. In my mind, just they have that crucial series loss to Utah Valley at home. You know, they yeah. just have yeah. a hard time getting past that. Um, they have won their last three series against Missouri State, Wichita State, Southern Illinois, so they've, they've closed fairly well. It feels like Dallas Baptist is going to be one of those teams. They're in that mix to be last four in, last f- first four out, right? I agree. I agree with you, yeah. Arizona State at 35, they've certainly finished well. It feels like Arizona State's in. They're Kansas, safe. Kansas, Old Dominion. Now, Old Dominion at 37. I feel like we've talked a little bit about Old Dominion, but not a lot. Chris Finwood's gone over there. Where was he at? Western Carolina? Western Kentucky before? Is that where he was? Yeah, that's right. Did a great and job, Western Kentucky. Got the Hilltoppers, a, uh, I think, into a couple of regionals. Yep, did a great job there. Now he's come to Old Dominion, which is kind of like his, you know, he's a, he's a Virginia guy. He's got a lot of Virginia ties. He's come to ODU. There's a, a pretty nice influx of junior college transfers that he's brought into Old Dominion. As this program really geared up to get into Conference USA, I've talked to a couple scouts who really like the way that he runs that program and the way that that team scraps and the talent level there is solid, not spectacular. Um, but they've kind of taken on all comers. Um, they've got this pretty nice bullpen, um, uh, Aaron. It's, they've got a, kind of a couple starters have had a nice season for them. But I've heard some pretty good stuff on uh, Connor Overton, like their setup guy out of the bullpen, like uh, – he has some 94s on him. They have the Brad Jarrow kid who's had a great year for them. It's a nice bullpen. They pitched pretty well. What's your take on – is their resume regional caliber? Some of their talent is mm. on the fringe of regional caliber. What's your take on their resume as far as regional caliber? It's one of those that, that feels a little bit inflated in the RPI, uh, and, and I'm not quite sure – why you know it's one of those because I don't see a ton of substance here. I mean, I, I do think um, you know they got a couple of nice series wins. East Carolina at home, that's an okay series win. Uh, they had a midweek win against Virginia that really helped them for sure. Um, but 
you know, they, they, they went two rice, didn't get swept. They won one of the, one out of the three games up there. Um, but you know, they're, they're three and six against the top 50. So, you know, they're not a, like, kind of like Dallas Baptist. There's not a whole lot of, of, uh, high end wins to hang your hats on. But I, that said, kind of like Dallas Baptist, I'd probably lean toward in right now. Um, they, you know, they needed to do some work to get themselves into a better position in the conference. Cause a couple of weeks ago, they had been like sixth or seventh in that league. They finished tied for fourth and 17 and 13. Six games back of Rice, um, but still, I, I think that's probably good enough. I, I would lean toward in right now, but it's definitely a bubble case. I mean, a lot of these teams really are. It's, it's funny how, how wide the bubble is from an RPI standpoint. I feel like a lot of years, you, you feel like every team inside the top 40 is safe. And this year, uh, I, I feel like there's a lot of teams. No, there's yeah. a lot of teams inside the top 40 that are not safe, and there are teams in the 50 to 60 range that I think have a pretty good shot. I felt like we were going to do a little Casey Kasem there with the weekly top 40. We're talking about top 40 teams. <laughs> Casey Kasem in the news brings up the top 40 to me. Aaron Irvine, I feel like it has put itself right back on the bubble. Swept by yeah. Cal State Fullerton. Um, Irvine is next in this official RPI at 38, and they dropped 12 spots this week. <laughs> Irvine feels like it's in trouble, Aaron, because it doesn't have a great series win to hang its hat on, does it? Yeah, Santa I mean, Barbara? that's... That's it. You're right. It's Santa Barbara. I, I think that's the correct answer. They've struggled when they stepped out of conference. I think they lost a series to, uh, what, Nebraska. They lost a series to San Diego State. Um, you know, so they've got those that they played those good, solid teams in other leagues, haven't fared well against them. Uh, even Fresno State early in the season, they lost two out of three at home. That was, that was opening weekend. is a long time ago, but it still counts. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's this year, yeah. It's, it's so, these players. That's right. So, um, you know, they knew the schedule was backloaded. Um, they, they, you know, Gillespie, when, I, when, when did I talk to him? After the Santa Barbara series, I think, yeah. a couple of weeks yep. ago. Um, and even at that point, he wasn't counting his chickens. He said, look, you know, we, we understand. Um, that we are where we are because we had the, the friendlier part of our schedule early. And he said, you know, it won't be easy. Um, and, and it hasn't been. You know, they took care of business against the Gauchos, lost the next two weekends against Polly and Fullerton. And now they have to go to Long Beach. And Long Beach hasn't lost a series in, in a while. They're, they're playing well. Long Beach is going to be in. Um, Irvine, despite being better than the RPI right now, yeah, I don't know. They, 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 might be, they might be on the bubble. Aaron, how much of their recent demise can be traced to the fact that they've treated their super fan, Keith Franklin, so shabbily in recent weeks? I mean, this is, this is poor. The yeah. way they, I, mean, I don't want to spend too much time talking about this, but Keith Franklin, you've written about him when you went to Irvine games, and they banned him from their home games this year for coming on the yeah. field to present a thousand-win banner to Coach Gillespie? I mean, that just seems... Ridiculous. Now the guy seems a little ridiculous himself. Like, don't come on the field, you know. Right, ask right. For permission. That's certainly sensible, but it feels like a little bad karma coming the eater's way for getting, uh, for shoving uh, Keith Franklin uh, out of their ballpark. I, I got to tell you what, John. That he's one of the most of a Southern California thing for me to say, but it feels like they're in SoCal. I feel karma's yeah. a factor. They, they are. Um, very lucky to have had that guy going to their games for years now, and he's one of the the most recognizable fans in college baseball. He's one of the best fans in college baseball. He's really, kind of like you know our friend Tom Jensen at, at North Carolina. He's relentlessly positive. He never rides the other team. Um, he you know he's loud like Tom is. He's loud. He's into it. Um, but he's a great fan. He loves the Anteaters. The players 
and, and their families, I'm pretty sure, love them as well because they paid to send them to the regional in, in Charlottesville several years back. And right. it sounds like the players' families are trying to get them back in the ballpark. But, I mean, that's – you know, look, tell the guy – don't come on the field again, okay? I mean, give him a stern warning. Um, he comes back to the next game, and they wouldn't let him in. Give me a break, man. I, you know, I don't know all the situation there, but I'm just saying uh, that bad karma is right. I mean, you, you should be, you know, <laughs> you should be thanking that guy every day for coming to your games and creating an atmosphere, because otherwise it's dead. I mean, that's the guy who, who creates all the energy in that ballpark. Yeah, I mean, uh, I read that this weekend. Uh just didn't make a whole lot of sense that they did it. It felt like it was a litany of things that built up to that. I don't want to talk too much about it, but to me, when I think of Irvine now, I think of this guy in his Macho Man Randy Savage impersonation cheering on the Eagles. Yeah. Oh, yeah! So, that was a pretty bad Macho Man Savage. I apologize. <laughs> Doesn't mean I wasn't going to do it, and I didn't even warn you that I wasn't going to do it and then do it. So, just, just that, that's what a uh, uh, Aaron, uh, Georgia Tech, we talked about them. Very soft resume. I feel like Georgia Tech's best thing that it did was go to North Carolina and win that series, which was the only time I saw them play in person this year. And it was more like, a boy, they outfought North Carolina in a game on a Friday night. They outlasted North Carolina in a long extra inning game. I feel like that's been said a few times about the Tar Heels this year. And I guess yeah. they won that series against Miami back when Miami actually lost series back in uh, March, which – Miami's won a billion games in a row, it feels like. Uh, 26 out of 29, I believe, is Miami's deal. Yeah. But, I mean, Georgia Tech's resume, I guess they have some high highs and some low lows. Florida State, I, too. I, they won the Florida State series. That's right. They won a series against Miami, against Florida State. I feel like – and then they swept Duke. I feel like if you're in the committee room yeah. and you're saying, what didn't they do? They lost the series at NC State. They uh, lost. They got swept at Pittsburgh. Um, it's a very uneven series. Uh, uh, resume for the for the Yellow Jackets. What's your gut feel on these guys? In, I think they're in, and I know there's some Georgia Tech fans that are really worried. They think if they lose Tuesday, um, that they'll be out. But I, I don't think so. I, you know, you know how I feel about high quality series wins, and they've got high end series wins with Florida State and Miami, and um, you know they're both at home. But then they they won the road series against North Carolina, and and hey, sweeping Duke is, is actually a decent series. I know it's not a great RPI series because Duke's. Well, in the 70s, I think in the RPI, but um, Duke's good, and they're you know 16 and 14 in the league. So you know, for me, there's enough here. Um, I mean, Georgia Tech, hey, they got to 14 wins in the league. It's it's not great, but it's usually good enough combined with a, a solid enough RPI and, and a bunch of high end wins. For me, I like their resume more than Clemson and, and North Carolina. And then you have this North Carolina NC State game tomorrow, Aaron, which is. Uh, could be the third installment. Uh, well, not third. It'd be like the sixth installment of Carlos Rodon versus North Carolina. It sounds like Carlos could pitch. Probably won't start, but who knows? Who knows? You know, last year in Omaha, uh, T- Turner Walston, I guess, is the uh, radio guy for North Carolina, uh, who tweeted the story from last year in Omaha, where 30 minutes before the second game between North Carolina and NC State, an elimination game in Omaha where Kevin Fosnes, the NC State Media Relations Director, basically burst into the radio room and said, guys, uh, we're starting right on. And then, you know, let him know and then close the door. So I guess NC State changed its mind basically <laughs> 30 to 45 minutes before that game started. Right. Um, so what's your gut feel tell you, Aaron? Does your gut feel say that NC State and North Carolina, both of which are on the bubble, 
uh, it feels like NC State has a little bit more work to do than North Carolina does. Where if North yes. Carolina gets one or two, North Carolina gets a win in that Tuesday game. Almost playing those next three games might be enough for North Carolina RPI wise. Although it certainly would behoove them to go two and two rather than three and uh, one and three. It right. Feels like NC State has to win Tuesday and then win a couple more games for sure to get in. What, what's your take on those two teams? It sounds like we we it sounds like you agree that North Carolina's We've got work to do. NC State has more work to do. Uh, exactly. I think you you nailed it pretty well there. Uh, you know, North Carolina, Carolina finished two forty four in the RPI. NC State's at fifty four. Yeah, and the Tar Heels have finished two games ahead in the conference standings too. Um, they didn't don't have as many bad losses as, as NC State has. Um, I, you know, I think for me, if I'm Elliot Avent. And I know I got to win multiple games in this tournament. It's it's more than just beating North Carolina. Just beating North Carolina is not good enough. I'm not going to bring back my ace on three days rest um, for that game. And especially since I think you know Virginia and Florida State present bigger challenges than North Carolina. This isn't a great North Carolina team. You know if you, you should be if if you're a regional team, beat them with somebody else. Um, that's how I this feel. Year's North Carolina team that's just not a offensive team. I understand no. that last year. Last year's North Carolina team was sure. really, really, really offensive. This yep. year's team is not uh, hot, landing last or notwithstanding. And then, Aaron, it feels like Duke has to win the tournament and uh, 15 and 15 in the league. And I feel like Duke is a better team than either North Carolina or NC State. Certainly better on the mound. I think they're 16 and 14. 16 and 14. You're right. They are 16 and 14 in the league. And, and teams that win 16 games in ACC always go to regionals. I mean, really, this would be – I can't think of the last time a team had a winning ACC record and didn't go to regionals. But um, but that sweep RPI – Sweep at Pittsburgh really feels like it's going to yeah. kill them, you know? And, you know, they're, and they're still only, what, 5-13 and 13 against the top 50. So, you know, they haven't done as well against the top-end teams. Um, this week – in the last two weeks, I really thought they had to, you know, not get swept by Miami – and not get swept by Florida State. And they did salvage a win at Florida State, but they, but they got swept by Miami. So Their first um, win at Florida State in 14 years. First uh, win I thought at it was, Tallahassee since 2000. Oh, I thought it was since 1994. Is that wrong? Oh, I, no, I think you're right. I think I got it wrong. I think you're right. Since 1994, that's, that's insane, Aaron. That's, that's truly insane uh, when you really think about it because that was the year that Duke had, like, Quentin McCracken and Ryan Jackson – and, I mean, that Duke team, like Ryan Jackson was collegiate baseball's college player of the year, which was not a good choice. I believe ours was uh, uh, Nomar Garciaparra or, no, it was Jason Veritek, you know, who was a switch hitting catcher and was the ACC player of the year, I believe. I, Ryan Jackson had a great year. I'm not dogging on Ryan Jackson. But I just, Ryan Jackson had a really good year that year is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I wasn't at Baseball America at that time. I know that's hard for you to believe, Aaron, but I wasn't. At yeah. There was a time when I wasn't at Baseball America, but it feels like if Duke feels more like a regional team than North Carolina, yeah, uh, or NC State, and but it feels like they're less likely to get in. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I you know, I agree with you. Really, I do. I, you know, Duke won those series against both those teams, um, which was really, which is really the high point of their resume. I mean, that's that's the problem for them is they don't have any series wins better than those two, and those two are bubble teams. Um, but you watch them play; they look the they look the part to me. I mean, you know, they, I think they're much deeper on the mound than um, NC State and 
and deeper than North Carolina too on the mound, no doubt for me. Um, they're just, and, and, I don't even know if it's so much deeper, but they're just they're better. They're just better. You're right. They're they're better. I, I'd say they both have like seven, eight guys they like. I think Duke's seven eight is better than North Carolina's. You know, I think. Uh, but from my college standpoint and from my pro standpoint, I mean, Trent Swart's been outstanding down the stretch of the season, uh, and that's with injuries to Marvel. And uh, who was the other pitcher who got hurt for them? Uh, James Marble was supposed to be their Friday guy. Yeah, Swart missed right. part of the season. Um, yeah, I mean, like Michael Machuela had some was banged up a little bit. I mean, he certainly, if he were healthy, he'd have thrown more than fifty-two innings. Um, right. This is a deep pitching staff, but yeah, I think North Carolina has you know seven guys they like. Duke has seven, eight guys it likes. I just think Duke's seven or eight are better. You know, I mean, it's it's yeah. it's a really good pitching staff, and there's some you know there's some offense in that. I think we thought that Chris Marcancini would have a better year. Um, yeah. But Jordan Betts, Marcancini, Ryan Dietrich gives them some heft in the middle of the lineup. Um, you know, Andy Perez and Mark Lupa set the table fairly well. It's a, It feels like it should be a better offense than it's been, Aaron. It's a, it, it's weird the pieces don't quite add up for them. Uh, right. I like their team. I like their team. I definitely think Chris Pollard uh, has done a tremendous job there. And if Duke can hang on to him, they're going to have a really good program. We'll see. Yeah, and I, I think his success is going to get noticed. I think so, too. Um, I think he's a great coach. I really do. And, and he has a very bright future. He's only, I think he's only 39. Um, yeah, no, he's so. a young guy. And he's a North Carolinian. He's been around this state for a long time. Had success at Appalachian State. Um, yeah, so uh, he's good. Uh, but back to earlier, but, but, just going through the – go ahead. I'm sorry. But to follow up on, on something you said there, um, you're, you, the, you look at their their parts, they don't quite add up. To the, to the to the results, and I feel the same way about Clemson. I mean, I, I still yeah, I look at Clemson, and and they should be a lot better than they are. I don't know, you know, some teams just underachieve, and and I'm not gonna say Duke underachieved. I mean, winning 16 games for them was a big step forward, um, but they also had some bad. Even this weekend, they couldn't. Um, or, or no, that wasn't this weekend, but it was uh, uh, two weeks ago against Longwood when they when they didn't sweep that series. Right. Um, Good point. You know, I mean, the ghost of just, Buddy Bowling was afoot in that series. <laughs> that's that's right. I shouldn't say that. But Clemson, Aaron, this is a team that had those brutally just tough losses to South Carolina early. Felt like they got back up off the mat after that, but just seemed like this is a team that has just lost steam as the years gone on, Aaron. And I mean, they have some toughness and they have some talent. Just feels like a team that should be better than they are. I mean, they had to really. I mean, they showed their toughness. They're losing nine to two to BC and come back and win that last game. But you sh- you shouldn't go to Notre Dame and lose that series, especially when Pat Connaughton walks eight guys and strikes out nobody. It's just a really mm. funky team. I-, I can't figure Clemson out. No, they're <laughs> exactly. I-, I feel the same way. I-, I don't. I don't get those guys. And I wrote them off on on Saturday when they were down nine to two. I think I even tweeted. I gave them a TFCO. Thanks for coming out on Twitter um, right before they right before they came back. So hey, give those guys credit. Uh, they didn't roll over. I mean, nine to two. Are you serious? Five runs in the ninth. I mean, kudos to them. They did show some toughness. Uh, let's see if, how much more they got in them in, in the conference tournament because um, you know they got a. I think a. I think it's a must-win game against Duke. I, I really do. I think they're on I the agree. bubble. I completely agree, and it's not like they don't have an ace either. You know, Daniel Gossett has been really, really good this year. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm stunned that they're on this bubble, and it, like you said, their resume just—it's just not a good resume here, and it's not encouraging. There's nothing really they can. And what are they really hanging their hat on? Two wins against UNLV, 
Um, when when you didn't have Fetty and was just kind of stepping out of conference, you know, going cross country. I don't know. I don't put a whole lot of stock in those two. Two wins against Maryland, two and zero against Maryland. Uh, and you know that's really that's really all they got. Yeah, that was Daniel Gossett's first loss of the season the other day when he lost three one to BC. And he's I think he's got seven innings or more, eight straight starts. So he's a draft guy. He's got a little bit of I don't know about helium. He's still only you know 165 pounds. Well, he's 185 pounds. What they list him at. He's not an overly physical young man, but I think he has helped his draft stock as I just sent a little draft uh, tidbit in there. And I've got a lot of Twitter questions before I go, but I, want, I do want to – we've gone a little bit long here. I want to ask about a couple of West Coast bubble teams. We work our way down, then we'll go to the Twitter questions. We talked about Ball State um, last week on the Hangout. They're in there at 53, so there's a potential kind of bubbly team if they don't win the MAC. Um, yeah. But on the West Coast, Long Beach State and Stanford. The dirtbag are at 47. Boy, Stanford takes a 16-spot tumble in the RPI this weekend, Aaron, despite winning their series, but it was against uh, Washington State, which isn't great in the uh, RPI. Stanford's over 500 now at 26 and 23. They've got tremendous strength of schedule. But at 13 and 14 in the league with a series left against Utah this weekend, feels like Stanford probably needs to win out, get the 30 wins. And so even if the RPI falls into the 50s there, do you think Stanford still gets in if they're 16 and 14 in the league, 30 and 23 overall, and had fin- would finish strong? Yes. Uh, in that case, yes. Uh, for what it's for, the RPI needs report says Stanford will still finish in the top 45 if it wins out, if it wins those last four games. So um, that means they might even have a little bit of wiggle room if, if let's say, they win the Utah series but don't sweep it. Um, probably – you know, get to 29 wins, probably still finish in maybe in the, in the 45 to 50 range, I would imagine. I'm not an RPI math expert, but that, that, that yeah, I would guess. There, I guess. I guess because those Utah games are on the road, that is the, right. the RPI wouldn't take as big of a tumble. But that, that surprises me considering Utah's RPI is brutal. Yeah, and, so, and, and, and you know, and they're, and they're Utah 16 and 33. So if you're talking about that opponent's winning percentage being half the formula, you know, that, that takes a chunk right there. Um, but, uh, you know, Stanford is – Last three weeks, they've won series, you know, two on the road at UCLA, at Arizona. Um, they have a big series win against Arizona State to hang their hats on, and Oregon. They won two out of three again, so in Kansas. So they've got a few, you know, solid series wins here. Uh, they have the strength of schedule. Yeah, I think if they can even get to just 29 wins, that'll be enough. Uh, you know, beat Pacific say, midweek. Like st- I'm sorry, I-, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I like the way Stanford's trending, and yep. they're finally hitting. Austin Slater's had a big year. Zach Hoffpower, as you wrote about Friday the Football Player, has brought some physicality and some pop to their lineup. He's almost slugging 500. I mean, they have they have three guys slugging 479 or more. I don't know how many teams have that. But the great Blandino's up to 10 home runs now. They've got the Kroger back uh, hitting a little bit. Wayne Taylor has finally started to hit. So uh, it looks like uh, Coach Garko has woken his bat up a little bit. Um, and then they've you know, the veteran – uh, thumb and left-hander, uh, my favorite uh, Hogan's Hero reference, John Major Hochstadter, uh, has started to come on a little bit here. And so um, it feels like Stanford's a better team now than it was early in the season, too. Yeah, and that that was a key point I thought that Mark Marquess made when I spoke to him last week was, yeah, our schedule was 
really tough early. That's part of it. But the other part is we are just playing better now than we were then. And, and um, the starting pitching, you know, the big part of it, having that settled with, with, with Cal Quantrill and, and, and Hoke's daughter especially. And, you know, the position players, all those guys you mentioned, you're exactly right. You hit on it. Um, those are the guys that have, you know, kind of led the way here. So um, I, last week I was waffling on Stanford. I think, you know, I wasn't quite convicted. I'm, I'm still not 100% there, but I think if they beat Pacific midweek, take two out of three at Utah, I think they're in. I agree. I agree. Aaron, uh, the last, last, uh, last couple of RPI questions I have for you with Long Beach State, which is something else. Long Beach State, San Diego, State, like those Mountain West teams. Um, what do you feel about those Mountain West clubs and their chances of at-large bits you guys? Uh, UNLV at 26 before UNLV seems like they've really stumbled down the stretch. Post-Fetty injuries, San Diego State, New Mexico, both in the 50s. What's the Mountain West's outlook? Well, I think UNLV is, is safe. I mean, with that RPI, with their, you know, their non-conference schedule, I think going to Nebraska, um, they're 5-1 and one against New Mexico this year. Um, even, even this weekend, they swear, at least they rebounded to sweep Nevada. Um, so, you know, I, I, think, I think they're probably, they're probably in, in fine shape. I think they even got the number one seed in the conference tournament. Uh, New Mexico could be in some trouble now because they didn't take care of business this weekend against Air Force, I think they really had to sweep Air Force, and they didn't. They lost. They lost the middle game, so um, that hurts them in the RPI. And they don't now. They don't have the outright conference tournament or regular season conference championship to hang their hats on like they had last year. Last year they got in. I think they were fifty or fifty-one, and they got in. And uh, and part of the part of that was because they dominated the league in the regular season. They they won it going away. This year they haven't done that. So right now I think I'm going to move New Mexico to the to the bubble out category, um, and I might have the Aztecs in in better shape at this point than, than New Mexico. I mean it's uh, you know New Mexico's I mean San Diego State is right on the bubble too. I mean don't get me wrong. It's you know, <laughs> but uh, San Diego State's a few spots higher than the RPI. They got that series win against Irvine, which I like. Um, you know, they they beat UNLV a couple of weeks ago, two out of three. I mean, I don't know. They're not a slam dunk, but right now I, I think they're. Uh, they also have a series win against West Virginia early on, which helps. So I think they got a little bit more uh, quality on their resume than New Mexico has. That league is really tough to sort out, Aaron, and it just feels like it's so much more up in the air. I mean, than usual. I mean, Western Carolina's at forty. Uh, Western Carolina won the uh, won the Southern Conference uh, regular season. They're at forty in the RPI. You feel like Western Carolina is pretty safe, right? Yeah, they're a lock. Take it to the bank. Now, now they got the the regular season championship to go uh, with a, a decent RPI. Yeah, they're in. Pepperdine the same, winning the West Coast Conference. I wouldn't I wouldn't call them a lock. Um, okay, but I think they're probably in. All right, well, I think we've hit on most of those teams. Let's go to, to the Twitter machine. Um, I'll ask you this question as well. I'll, I'll answer it too. Someone, is there, James asks at ouch14, is there someone you consider a favorite at number one overall for the Astros, or is it pretty much even? I would mm-hmm. say, Aaron, if, if, if Carlos Rodon is signable and it's not a crazy signability number, I think that he would go first. If it's a bigger signability, if it's a tougher signability for him than uh, Brady Aiken, I think they would be comfortable going Brady Aiken. I don't know if you have an opinion on that or not. I, you know, I don't know what, what the Astros are thinking, but I, but you're you're uh, from what you've been able to gather, and um, you know from what we know about those guys, I, I think that's a great analysis. I, I agree with you. I, I think uh, 
you know, we still have Aiken number one on our board, and I think a lot right. of teams probably do. Um, but you know, Radon's track record is what it is. You know, he's 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 uh, clo- he's close to the big leagues. I mean, you could put him up there tomorrow, and he'd be fine. Uh, you know, at least he'd be able to get out. I mean, he'd, he'd have right. you know, he's, there's a little bit of a learning curve, you know, of course, but uh, he, he's close. Is the point? Um, he's made, he's uh, made it close by not having a great year. That's the bottom line. Yep. He hasn't had a bad year, but he hasn't had a great year. He's basically had, as we looked at the numbers pretty much the same year that Garrett Cole had in 2011, Aaron. And, in fact, in a lot of ways, he's had a better year than Cole. Right. So before people bag on him too much, <laughs> Garrett Cole, we were bagging on Garrett Cole that whole year. I mean, I, I was I was in the Trevor Bauer will be, will be better camp three years ago because I just didn't understand why Cole was having such a bad year that year. But certainly at this point in their big league careers, Garrett Cole has been a lot better. So Yeah. Um, next question. Uh, so thanks for the question, James. Matthew Trueblood who's at, at armside run with a couple of underscores in there. How high can Max Pentecost climb in the draft? Getting some late buzz, it seems. Aaron, you, I, did, we, I forget where you had – I'll ask an actual question here. I forget where you had Max Pentecost in last year's Cape Cod League list, but he had buzz last year to be a first-rounder. Did he not? Yep. No, no doubt. He was high on the Cape League list. I think he was a, I think he was a Cape League batting champion, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. This is not like a um, surprise. He didn't come out of nowhere. Right, he was he was already you know he was he's been a first round candidate I think. Uh, from the day he walked year. into school, he was a seventh round pick, sure. undrafted out of, out of high school, didn't sign. I remember talking to the Rangers that year. The Rangers thought they had a deal with this guy. You know, mm. something changed the last minute with the Rangers and Max Pentecost. But when you combine athleticism, <clears throat> the catcher spot, and a four twenty two, four seventy seven, six twenty six line, yeah, Oof. it's yeah, it's the Atlantic Sun t- Conference. I get it. It's not. There's no Lynn DiNardo's not walking through that door. This is not the heyday of the Atlantic Sun Conference. Or Chris Sale's not walking through that door. Maybe I should update my Atlantic Sun pitcher reference here. <laughs> Chris Sale's not walking through that door, but Max Pentecost has dominated that league. I think he'll be one of their, their five lock college position players who will go in the first round. Pentecost is one of them. You have Pentecost, Conforto, uh, Bradley Zimmer, Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber. Those are the five locks. I think A.J. Reed and Casey Gillespie are extremely safe bets, but they're more like Florida State. They're almost a lock as a top eight national seed. Those guys are almost locks as first-round picks, but it's just not universal or consensus. So That's that's fair. I, I agree with you once again. Good job, Aaron. You're good at that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> great pick, boss. Um, we, we've already interacted with Tucker Blankenship, NC State's number one baseball fan on Twitter, at least to interact with us. Um, we've answered Drew's question at D. Grimm, who asked us, national seeds, which teams are locks, which teams could fall out, which teams could play themselves in. Is there a dark horse who could play their way in, Aaron? Like, could Texas Tech be a top no. eight national seed if they win the Big 12? No, no, no. Right. Um, you know, and they're 11 in the RPI, so it's not an outlandish question, but um, not not being, what, fourth in the in the Big Twelve, right? Because you had TCU as a dark, not a dark horse, but like as a national seed picture. Yeah. Last not, week, yeah, last uh, week I think I had TCU as a national seed. This week they won't be when I when I update stock report uh, today or tomorrow. Um, do you they'll be replaced. Houston, do you think Houston could be a, na- a top eight national seed with that gaudy number nine RPI if they win the AAC tournament? I just don't see it because because of the conference. Uh, you know. What did they finish third in the league? Several games back. 
I don't think so. I mean, you know, I, I understand they have a, a great RPI. They have a, a great non-conference RPI in particular. Um, but no, I, I, they're not a national seed contender. I, I think they're still on the bubble to be a host. And, and trying to figure out the, the last couple of hosts is really challenging um, because, you know, you've got all those SEC teams. And now, you know, I feel like LSU is a three seed in the SEC tournament. We had them out last week. They feel like they should be back in as a host. Um, Liberty's out, I think, as a host after losing that series to Radford. Um, Rough loss for the, for the, for the, the Flames. Yeah. But then you got Louisville. I mean, can you really give Houston a host over Louisville when, you know, the Cardinals won that league and, and won Swept the head-to-head Houston series in, in a sweep? Yeah, I mean, you know, so I know Houston's got the RPI edge, but can, will both those teams get hosts? I don't know. If i got to pick one of them, I, I think I'm taking the Cardinals. i got to say, I just I completely don't understand how Houston's RPI is so high. Now, they've won a lot of games, but they're not conference schedules similar to – are there top fifty and top hundred lines pretty similar to Louisiana Lafayette's? Um, you know, I think it's a little better than that. Houston's eight and eight against the top fifty. Um, they are forty-one and fourteen. That's how their RPI is. So that's the bottom line, right? Well, I mean, you know, yeah, that's part of it. They're fifteen and non-conference series against the games against Rice. They've won. They're fifteen and four on the road, which really helps. Yeah, and that's also good. that's also a reason Louisiana Lafayette is where it is because they've won a lot of road games. But um, Houston does have more. Quality wins that than Lafayette. I mean, they're eight and eight against top fifty, and they're sixteen and nine against uh, the top one hundred. So they've okay. they've got more more high end wins. Um, going to the West Coast early, you know, those teams turned out. USC and UCLA weren't great, but uh, and they lost to Pepperdine. So I mean, that that you know, but they were on the West Coast, and and you know, traveling helps. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it, one of those teams where it feels like their their RPI is higher than than it should be. But um, that said. You know they're <laughs> they're pretty year, good. Though. That said, I mean we have all kinds of respect for that team and that program. So yeah, um, great. That's a, that's a great one. Um, Aaron, uh, last question. Uh, Mike Rooney, Runes of ESPNU, former Arizona State coach, assistant coach. Rune says, I think AJ Reed should be National Player of the Year if he didn't pitch this year. Hashtag dominance. Maybe. Um, I, I think he's got a very strong case, Aaron. Who else is even in the National Player of the Year mix? I know I'm kind of putting you on the top of your head here, but outside of A.J. Reed, who's even in that mix? Nola. Uh, for me, it's a two-man race between Nola and Reed. Um, I what, about, just... what about our boy uh, uh, Kyle Freeland? Kyle I feel Freeland? like Kyle Freeland had the best yeah. year of any pitcher in the country, including Nola. Maybe you're right. Yeah, that's another good one to put to put on the on the short list there. Uh, you're right, because, I mean, especially since he's helped them win their their win their league and he's you know he's been such a huge part of their success out there um, I, mean, I know it's the missouri valley and not the sec so you see nola without 142 era in the sec and combining on six shutouts you know that's pretty ridiculous but i feel like the same thing can be said of kyle freeland the strikeout walk numbers are ridiculous if i were in the decision sciences department of some team <laughs> i don't like to say but if, if you're crunching numbers Kyle Freeland has the best numbers in college baseball. Although I there you do have to put him through the through the translator, you know, of the Missouri Valley Conference. So he has a higher ERA than Nola, but he has a one twenty two to nine strikeout to walk. Yeah. That's bonkers. It's bon- yeah, bonkers. It's bonkers, but but yeah, I mean I I feel like a, I feel like AJ Reed is it's hard to take that away from him of being I don't want to be anticlimactic, but I can't think of anybody who else who's in his range of college Player of the year, right? 
Uh, no, I mean, you know, it, like 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 Rune said, um, even if he didn't pitch, I mean, the hitting line alone, and you know, the guy's what ten and two is a Friday starter in the SEC, um, so that that you know that's pretty good, also. But for God's sakes, he's got uh, twenty three home runs now, John, seventy RBIs. I mean, twelve eighty ops leads the nation. I think it's still in ops. He's putting up, ridiculous he's putting up, he's putting up uh, or bat numbers on a BB core world. Oh, it's 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 crazy. It's you're exactly right when you when you when you consider the context of this era. I mean, John, how many how many guys over the last twenty years have had a season as good as this? Um, you know, think of a two way guy who's who's made this kind of an impact both ways. It's it's come on, it's, it's crazy. Hard to, it's hard to imagine. I mean, like Brad Wilkerson '98 had that kind of a year. As a two-way guy, I'm trying to think of others. But but relative to his his era context, his offensive numbers don't hold a candle to, to AJ Reed's. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what his pitching numbers were. The 1998 was a minus five bat season. So yes, you're, in terms of the uh, context offensively, you're absolutely right. He does not hold a candle because he he had similar. I, I don't think he hit 30 home runs that year, but Brad Wilkerson did hit a lot of home runs that year. Um, I will say one difference. Is that he took? I mean, he had a little bit better team around him because they had, uh, I believe, they had David Eckstein and Mark Ellis on that 1998 mm. uh, Florida team. They may have both Not been bad. on. I think they had. I think the infield was Tamargo at short, John Tamargo Jr. at short, Eckstein at second, Mark Ellis at third, and Brad Wilkerson at first base when he didn't pitch. But I believe that that uh, I have to look up Brad Wilkerson's numbers that year. And of course, he's from Kentucky, which. He always makes me chuckle uh, at the comparison of those two guys. Um, Brad Wilkes, that year I have his numbers here. He hit 347 with 23 home runs, so his numbers do not hold a candle. He's being outslugged by um, A.J. Reed right now. A.J. Reed 788 slugging, Wilkerson 743. Wilkerson did have, as this is not a typo, <laughs> Wilkerson did have 85 walks that year, Aaron. Ooh. Which is unfathomable. This, I'm looking at the NCAA's official website, and then he was 10 and five with a 4.98 ERA in that very offensive year. But he led the Gators uh, with 113 innings. Yeah. So they're they're comparable. But I think you're right. I think you have to give the edge statistically to uh, to AJ Reed, which is pretty amazing. Because when I think of great two-way seasons where guys started, I, I usually think of Brad Wilkerson. I'm sure there are others. But I usually think of Brad Wilkerson. Uh, if you have another one, uh, email it in to us at johnmanuelbaseballamerica.com or aaronfit at baseballamerica.com or tweet it at us. He's at aaronfitba. I'm at johnmanuelba. Uh, great long podcast here. I'm going to let you go. We want people to remember, don't forget BA's draft offer. Subscribe now and, and receive one extra month of access with any premium content subscription. That's at baseballamerica.com slash subscribe. And this podcast is powered by Louisville Slugger. Leave your mark with the attack raid and a solid bat lineup this season. Stronger, lighter, farther, Louisville Slugger. Aaron, you are going to, uh, like we said, Birmingham later in the week. Hoover, I should say. I'll be out at the ACC tournament at Greensboro, at least for one game, if not more. And all kinds of draft coverage coming up this weekend, too. And then, Aaron, what regional, uh, we kind of know, where. what regional do you think you're going to wind up at uh, in person? Where do you think you'll wind up, Aaron? You know, I really don't know. I really don't. I mean, certainly, you know, Charlottesville and Columbia will be dri- easily drivable. Those will be options. But, um, you know, I, I kind of like – I've got a couple of things I'm kicking around too. I mean, we need to get down to Lafayette. We need to get to, uh, you know, some random place like that that I haven't been to before um, where, you know, Cal Poly would be cool to go for a regional. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to look at the, the brackets and see how it goes. 
Cal Poly would be pretty cool to go to a regional layer just because uh, Morro Bay. You know, my, my fondness yeah. for Morro Bay. <laughs> I mean, take some pictures out by the rock. Get a piece of the rock out in Morro Bay. Here. And that, uh, that place, uh, the natural beauty of Morro Bay won me over. I was pretty impressed. So I, I, I advocate that. But, of course, uh, there have been to Baggett Stadium, so who knows. I don't think I will wind up being at a regional this year unless uh, unless something changes in the next couple of days. But uh, I think I'll be spending some family time. Uh, you, you got the draft. Uh, you're going up to you're going up to New Jersey, right, for the for the draft show the day before be on, regionals. I will, be, I will be on the draft show. Is that that is before re, no regionals are Memorial Day weekend? The draft is a super regional weekend, Thursday the fifth. So um, as you, I look at my schedule, the re, regionals are start May thirtieth. So. The BA 500 is what I'll be cranking out that week, so uh, oh, that, that 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 takes up enough time. So hope to be at a regional, but I'm not sure that. Uh, but I haven't gotten that call yet. So uh, contact your local cable provider who does the bases loaded and tell them you want John Manuel to work a regional on the on your television. <laughs> that would be uh, I'd, I'd appreciate the help. All right, Aaron, great podcast, everybody. We'll uh, talk to you again soon. For Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the next Baseball America College podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.